And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Muddy Knees Media. The heating's on. It's getting darker earlier and earlier, so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week. For only 100 of your English pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Totally Football Show. Today we're discussing the forthcoming documentary Finding Jack Charlton, which chronicles the life and extraordinary career of the World Cup winner and former Republic of Ireland manager. The film details the most successful period in Irish football history. February will mark 35 years since Jack took the job as boss of the Republic of Ireland national team. The nation holds its breath. Yes, we're there! to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Joining me are journalist and lifelong Republic of Ireland supporter Dion Fanning. Hi, Dion. Hi, how's it going? Very well, thank you. And I'm pleased to say we're joined by the former Republic of Ireland captain, Andy Townsend. Andy, thanks so much for being with us. No problem, Matt. Good to be here. Uh, the film available then for, for pre-order now, ahead of its release on the 23rd of November. It's a magnificent piece of work, directed by Gabriel Clark, executive produced by your good self. How did you come to be involved with the project? Um, well, basically, uh, um, it was about approaching probably three years ago now, Gabriel uh, and Pete Thomas, two guys I know very well, um, obviously from their from their days at ITV and from my days working with them. So I've known those guys a long time. Um, and they approached me and said, look, we're, we're, we're thinking of, of doing a, a big Jack story, a story of Jack's life, his, his winning the World Cup, obviously the relationship with his brother, and then all wrapped around the kind of journey with the Irish team and, and what that meant for Ireland as a country at that time, et cetera, et cetera. You know? and, and obviously I like the sound of it and I knew I knew Gabriel, again, working with him for as long as I had, I knew that he was always going to uh, throw himself at it. He usually does. Everything that he does is, he's not half-hearted. He, he, he really does commit uh, onto a, a serious level. So, uh, so basically it was then a case of putting him together with the family. I took him up to see Jack, Jack's wife, Pat, and John. That was about, I think about... Uh, just under, literally just under three years ago. And, uh, and literally from that moment onwards, you know, the, uh, the guys have been filming Jack quite a lot at his home, at various events. And, uh, and then the rest of it, my involvement was really contacts, timelines, kind of just giving them the background of, of Jack's personality, the kind of man he was, uh, and then sort of just steering them in various directions. And, Look, no credit for the for the for the amazing film that you've seen. It was totally constructed and put together by those guys. Uh, 
And I think it's a triumph. I think it's a brilliant piece of work. I really do. I'm very proud to be associated with it. Yeah, I bet you are. It's, it's also particularly poignant, isn't it, following Jack's passing, but also the diagnosis of Bobby with, with, with dementia. What was your take on the relationship between them? Did, did Jack talk much about his brother? Was he ever around the Irish camp when, when, when you were involved? He was occasionally, I think, uh, working in television, Bobby, when we were in the, the World Cup in 90, uh, maybe in 94 too, but, but only, only very occasionally did uh, was he was he in our camp really around around us guys um and i think we were all aware that that bobby and jack were very different characters you know they were very different men um and uh, so i think i don't think there was you know jack jack has gone on record many times over the years matt about his relationship with his brother um but but don't doubt the love and the respect that they had for each other many times I, I've spoken to Jack lots of times about various players and it might be a midfield player that I was speaking about who we were playing against or I might say so-and-so when we're playing them next week, Jack, or next month, he's, he's good. I'll tell you what, I really like it. And he would all, often comment and he'd often say he's not as good as our kid. He'd often say that, just that, you know, couldn't do what our kid could do. You know, that sort of thing. So I think people have often felt that, you know, there was a, a genuine dislike amongst them. That's not fair. I don't. I don't think that would be fair to, to say that. But like like many siblings, you know, their uh, life isn't always straightforward, and they've had they've had one or two moments. But but certainly the uh, the respect he had for his brother, certainly as a footballer, um, was uh, was often often apparent. If we spin forward then to, to when Jack takes the, the job as manager of the Republic of Ireland, it, it feels like one of his first jobs was kind of removing this inferiority complex that had built up around the Irish football team in the years before he got there. I think, that, again, they've been, the team had been close in a few tournaments um, and there was some always, there'd always been a, a healthy talent pool there'd always been some very, very good players in the Irish squads. And he actually says it in the film, doesn't he? You know, Des Casey, who was the president, says that he said to him down the phone, if I can't qualify with that lot, you know, then something's wrong. And I think he would have genuinely meant that. But probably probably what needed to happen was for somebody to, to take the squad down a particular road. And, uh, and that's what, what Jack was always going to be good at. It might not be a road that everyone agreed with. It might not be a road that, that always won him respect and admirers, but it was his road and it was his, it was his uh, team. And this is what we're going to do, lads. And if you, if you want to be part of it with me, then you've got to be prepared to do this. If you don't, that's fine. Pack your bag and clear off, you know, and, and kind of that's the way he was. And that's, that, that was often loud and clear, really. Certainly. Certainly from when I first started playing, my, I made my debut in 89 and I felt that straight away. By that time, Jack had already now got his feet under the table in the job. He'd already had the success of Euro 88. So he was already now travelling in the direction that he really wanted the team to move in. Um, so anyone coming into the squad like me at that time was always just going to buy into what he said. This is the way we're going to do it. It may have been a little bit difficult for... For, for some of the other guys um, years before, you know, 
when he first joined up in 86, a couple of years before, they might have frowned at one or two of the ideas and one or two of his, of his football philosophies. But certainly I didn't because, as I say, by that time, the Irish team, the green machine, as we called it, was on the move, you know, and it was well and truly up and running. Andy, um, like you talk about that, I was wondering, you know, if one of the differences between what came before and when you came in was just that sense of players before Jack having a kind of a more of an input, like you touch upon it in the film too, that like that wasn't something that uh, Jack had much time for, whereas before Jack, and it was probably a, a failing ultimately, there was there was probably a, a, a canvas of opinions about, you know, what style of play Ireland should be playing, what they should be doing. And that was one of the, the, the clarity was something that was imposed by Jack. That's exactly what I mean, Dion. That's it. You, you've hit it in one there. That's exactly it. If you think, you know, the modern day, the modern day players, so players of today, when, when coaches coach players of today, they coach with a question, you know, where would you be here, Andy, in this scenario? Where would you, where would you want to be in this scenario? Where would you, you know, oh, well, I, I think I, Jack was get over there and stay there and don't move from there. Stay there. I don't want you anywhere else but there, you know. And, and, and I think that because we had players of genuine world class uh, uh, prior to Jack and, and, and during Jack's early period with Liam, with, with Dave O'Leary, with Frank in particular, those three were were outstanding players. We also had a lot of other very good players. But someone has to come in at some point, Dean, and lay down some laws, and, and someone has to turn around and, and, and take a team in a certain direction. And, and, and I think that maybe prior to Jack, nobody had really been brave enough to do that. I don't think anyone had really been capable of doing that. So it needed someone who was adamant, someone who was opinionated, someone who was bloody-minded, someone who could be difficult, but someone who also had, had, had been there. And of course, with Jack being a World Cup winner, whatever anyone said about the way that he played or the way that he did it, when you've got, when you've got that experience or the experience of winning a World Cup in your back pocket, then people have to listen. People at some point have to listen. To, and and, uh, and that, that's what began to happen, I think. Was that something that, that he would often bring up if there was resistance in those early days? Because it's the ultimate trump card, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Matt, you know, he never hardly mentioned it. He never, ever, ever really mentioned it. He very, very rarely related to what he had achieved with anything that we were trying to do. He, he, he was unique and, and it needed someone like that, I think, Matt, at that time. It did need someone to to steer the ship into a, into a definite area. You know, Liverpool for 30 years have been trying to win this league, the Premier League. And all of a sudden, you've got a man in charge who kind of, you feel that he's walked through the door. And even though it's taken him a couple of years, he's kind of, he's kind of got everybody pulling and coming with him. And I think that's sort of similar with Jack. You know, it took a while, but eventually, once he, once he had the squad and he had everybody believing in what he was once people saw it starting to work, then obviously the country bought into it as well. 
Yeah, it, it did take a while, though, as you say. You know, we see the the go home Union Jack flag in the in the film, and obviously a large proportion of that squad were were either born in England or, or you know had some sort of English identity, including yourself. Were, were you immediately welcomed and integrated into the squad? I'm talking about amongst your fellow players rather than supporters. Oh gosh, no! I mean, listen, amongst and don't forget at that time I was, you know, you, you're playing against everybody every week. Uh, every other week, you know, you're coming up again. So I knew everybody intimately anyway. And uh, I was at Norwich when uh, when I first got asked to to join up. And and Jack said to me, and it all and when the first time I met him, I shook his hand, and uh, he just said, "Listen," he said, uh, "We go about what we do a bit different to a lot of others, but if you uh, if you do as you're told and get on with it, you'll enjoy it." And that's literally all he said to me when I first met him. The Norwich City team bus was just about to go back to, to Carrow Road from where, I think we were at Millwall in South London. And he'd come down and watch the game. And, uh, and he said that to me and that was all he said. People say that we show an enthusiasm in our game that England don't have. Maybe it's because we know what we're doing. Andy, like I wonder about about that because it's uh, it is is one of the the kind of topics in the film what what Jack did uh, in terms of you know Ireland and you know there's a lot of reference to the fact that he was an Englishman. Now in the film, I hadn't aware of the first person Charlie Hawhey, who turned out to be a, a crook, uh, refers to Jack as an honorary Irishman. Now I always felt it was more important that Jack was an Englishman, and he never. And he never abandoned that. Like that was a key thing. Like he was very proud. You can see it in the film how proud he was of how Ireland yeah. took, to, took to him and loved him. But he wasn't an honorary Irishman. He was an Englishman. And that was kind of more important in the relationship between Ireland and England than if he was saying, I'm now an Irishman. He always was still very much an Englishman. He, he was always, was always very much a... Uh very much an Englishman. But whenever he was, whenever we played England, Dion, whenever he was asked about, as you saw in the film, you know, when he was asked about, would you fancy playing playing England? Yeah, I would. Yeah, obviously he was, and and, and again, I never asked him, but clearly, and, and speaking with Jack's son, John, you know, he was, a, he was annoyed. I wouldn't say upset, but he was annoyed at, at not getting a, not getting a response to uh, when he applied, you know, for the England job, to not even get a response. I think that would have, I think that would have annoyed Jack, you know, as a World Cup winner. The least you could have expected was a phone call saying, look, Jack, we're going to go down another road. Fine, whatever, you know, but, and he would have been cool with that. But to not even get an acknowledgement would have pissed him off. There's no question about that. He wouldn't have liked that. But I don't, I wouldn't say that was the the reason for, you know, it wasn't the ultimate stimulant in trying to in trying to beat England every time as a result as a as a consequence of of that. I don't think that would be fair. I just think he 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 threw himself at the job when he got it, and you know he's a determined man. He's a pretty determined sort of character, Jack. You know, not an easy man to persuade or to change. So when he took the the job on, he would have wanted to make a success of it, and nothing whether it's England or anything, nothing would have, would have sort of stood in his way in order to try and do that. 
At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4-plus-fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus begamblerware.org. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Something else that, that comes up across as, as a theme in the film is the issue of the, the peace process, something Niall Quinn speaks about a lot. I wonder if, if that was something that actually Jack made you aware of as, you know, that you could you could have a, a very minor role, I guess, I guess, in this kind of thing. But, you know, the, the sense of patriotism, the taking the flag back from the IRA, that kind of thing. Was that something that ever permeated to you as players or is that just a byproduct? Nothing at all. Never that. Never that. Jack was, you know, again, not a political animal, not uh, motivated by anything outside of, of the dressing room or really. He would have been very aware of his responsibilities as, as, as the national team manager, you know, and, and aware of, of once, once, the, uh, once that real swell of appreciation started for, for him and for the team, aware of the good that that could also, could also bring the country very much. Yeah, I think looking at it from the Ireland's view, looking back on it, and even at the time, like, and you see it there, what Jack did was help make a journey, like from sort of the, from nationalism in Ireland. The Irish team allowed us to make this journey into sort of patriotism rather, rather than defining ourselves by kind of anti-Englishness or anything like that. This was a patriotic expression of pride in the country rather than saying we don't like another country. It worries me what the reception would be like if we actually won something. <laughs> and I even think in the film, I think Niall, Niall as maybe as a want, he probably pushes it a little bit too far to give Jack credit for, for, the, for the peace process. But and yeah. I think what it allowed, because even Roddy Doyle says we were able to love, uh, are able to uh, love an Englishman somehow or a line like that. I think Irish people always did like huge amounts to do with England as well as having this other other side to the relationship. But like, you know, and that was what was great about the team because the team was not just people born in Ireland, people whose families had left Ireland and made their lives in England. 
and maybe lots of them pine for Ireland, but lots of those families grew to love living in England too. I think there's something in uh, in, in an Englishman at that time wanting to become, because that wasn't a, you know, 1986 was was a difficult period for for, for both England mm. and Ireland, and 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 so for for him to 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 want to come and be the national team manager at that time, I think also also gave him uh, gave him a lot of a lot of credit for, or he gained a lot of credit for that. I think from people who who, who often you know, and, and we take football fans for granted. We take you know, when we talk about a country in supporting a, a football team, we assume that people don't think about it that much. They're just chuffed to hear that the team's doing well, and it's it's a it's a it's a great wave to to ride along on. But I think it's also very much a case that people were people started to to appreciate the fact that he came at a difficult moment, uh, and and he very quickly integrated himself with the team, and. And let's be fair, you know, at one point he had the country pretty much eating out the palm of his hand. He couldn't do any wrong. He couldn't do any wrong. Everything he did, and and whether that was holding court with the press, I don't want him in here, get him out like he did with Dumpy in 1990. I am entitled as an individual to speak to who I want to speak to. And I don't want to talk to him. You couldn't possibly get away with that sort of stuff. Unless you realised that you were one popular and two, you were you were uh, you were backed and you were well supported. And I think so. I, I do think that people started to recognise the fact that that this guy came across at a difficult moment and, and wanted to become our national team manager. And not only not only did that for his own professional reasons and financial reasons, whatever, but actually made a made a fist of it too. But do you think people loved him too because they knew that he would be that way even if he wasn't getting backed? Like that was how he was going to be. Well, and again, I think once they started to see scratch the surface deal with Jack, you know, you start to see a guy, you can't, it's very difficult not to like him. Not necessarily as a player, because when you're working with someone, obviously not everybody likes the manager. Not everybody, not everybody loved him. I think very few of our squads didn't like Jack. Not everybody loved him. Not everybody really, really, really uh, uh, appreciated everything he did. And that's, that's very natural. Did players sit around bitching about him? Like, would... Very, very rarely would you hear players bitching about him. Very, very rarely. Of course, look, occasionally you'd be doing something, you'd go, what are we doing this for? What are we doing? You know, that's, that's kind of everyday office talk and that's, mm. everyday, that's everyday existence. You know, you're always going to... You're always going to have moments where you're not sure. As I said in the film, I knocked on his door a few times to, to speak about a few things, and I was very quickly sort of told in no uncertain terms, "Thanks, but no thanks." <laughs> you know, I'm not really interested in what you've got to say. You know, we're going to do it my way, and if it works, great. If it don't, ta-da. You know, and it's kind of that's 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 the way he was, and I and 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 uh, and actually as well, you know. I've witnessed working in football, I've witnessed so many managers that when I hear them speak, they confuse me in two minutes. I ain't got a clue what, what sort of team they're wanting to build or what they're trying to do when I hear them speak after a match. With Big Jack, it was kind of always loud and clear, you know, and, uh, and it was do it my way and this is the way to go and I'll get you, I won't get you necessarily the very top of the tree, but I'll get you relative success and, 
everybody along the way is gonna is gonna enjoy it. And he delivered on that. I really like the line of yours in the film, Andy, where you say, "Be a dictator, but but a nice dictator." Um, it, it's obviously a style that you appreciated. It, it's not actually in the film, but I, I love the story of the way he told you that you were going to be taken over as captain of the team. Yeah. can you just retell us that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we were actually out on the pitch warming up, and so he said, "Andy, like you called me over because he often used to when we were warming up, he often used to sort of walk out there." And uh, he used to get a big roar off the crowd. And I think he used to do it for that reason, mainly. He used to walk out there. And the crowd used to go mad when he walked out onto the field and he'd give them a wave, you know. And he called me over and he said, look, um, I want you to be captain from now on. And I sort of said, right, uh, okay. And he went, right, don't overthink it. Don't think about it too much. Just do it. If you're no good at it, I'll take it away from you. And then he, he walked off and went to say something to someone else, you know, as we were warming up during the game. I, I, it wasn't like he knocked on my door, you know, the night before the game to say, I'm thinking of making you the skipper. What do you feel? How do you feel? And again, that's very much Jack's style, you know, very much the way he was as an individual. It's no great shakes. All it means, for, all, it, all it meant for me was really, I don't want you to change anything you do other than that you'll probably walk out first. And we stick an armband on your shoulder. You know, don't don't let it change anything else in your in, in the way that you go about your your business and the way that you you play for me. I don't want it to change anything else. But that's that was the way it was. Literally just sort of told me there, get on with it. And you know, that was it. Was he that direct with with Paul McGrath? He's a, he's a figure who, who is obviously an important one in this team, but but somebody who's quite central in the in the film as well. I just wonder whether Jack needed to use that arm around the shoulder style a little bit more with somebody like Paul, who obviously had his his own problems to deal with that, that were different from the rest of you. Yeah, he certainly look. He certainly cared about Paul. He worried about Paul. Because, like I've said to him many times, people in football will look after you. It's in their interest to look after you. When it's not in their interest, they won't. Well, it's very, very true that. Um, so he had a, he had concerns for Paul because he knew he knew that Paul's problems weren't. Uh, Paul wasn't a a party boy that you know broke curfews and sneaked out of the hotel because he wanted to go to a, a nightclub, you know, in the middle of Dublin. Paul got into situations because of, of his problem with alcohol, and Jack recognize that and loyalty was always a big thing for him Matt. loyalty was a was one of the words that we've seen on the notes one of the words that he'd written down and loyalty in jack's world i think was very much a two-way street very much people that turned up and did well for him and played well for him and gave everything for him he would be loyal to he would have found that very very difficult to have been anything other than supportive and and, and very mindful of, uh, of Paul's situation. And, uh, and of course, as Paul says in the film himself, once or twice, it got very close to, so very close to the line that you can't cross with Jack because there was always, there was always a line with him on most things that he wouldn't do or you feel like you're pushing your luck a little bit. And I think Paul kind of indicates in the film that there were a few times when, he, when he'd almost gone a little bit too far, but again, the understanding that Jack had of Paul's problem, how much he loved him as a player, of course, how much he respected him as a... Because like everybody, we all know, despite Paul's problems, he's got a heart of gold. And, and I think Jack recognised all of that 
which was one of the big reasons why I stood by him. You talk about a couple of times you came close to crossing the line. There's that scene in in the film for the uh, Turkey game. Yeah. Uh, when Paul didn't get off the bus. And I was actually there that day. I remember watching the coach coming in, seeing all that happen in real time. And Jack getting off, the, every, the whole, whole squad getting off the coach and then realising that Paul was still on the coach. That's just it. I'm getting the DTs. Something that happens with alcoholics. Your brain's not functioning right. Jack said, if you don't get off the bus today, you'll never play for this country again. And I said, yeah, Jack, I understand that. I do understand it. I just couldn't get off the bus. Because Paul's kit, I remember Paul's kit with his boots was still all in a neat pile. Whereas everyone else's, we'd all been taking our, our tracksuits off, putting our training, mm. putting our kit on, putting our shorts on, putting our boots on. And I remember seeing Paul's kit in a, you know, and we went out for the warm up that day. And when the, uh, the, over the tannoy, the teams were being announced and it was like, you know, number five, Paul McGrath, and obviously a big roar went up as it always mm. did. So that was obviously, you know, a, 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 diff, a, a really difficult time for Paul because I'd, I'd seen Paul over the years in club football where, you know, he might have had a couple of days where he'd been suffering and struggling a little bit but he would always get himself out there. He would always get himself out there to play. I've seen, you know, from Monday to Friday, you didn't quite see much of Paul because he would be training in the gym or doing his own thing. But he was always had that amazing ability to get out there and play. So for him that day to not be able to do it, he, he must have really, really been been suffering that day. But um, yeah, that was, you know, that, that, that was one instance. Now we won the game, Dion. I think we won the game four or five. Five nil, nil yeah. Yeah, we won. We won five nil. So again, you know that that helps in a situation like that 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 we were able to cope and 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 therefore that takes the pressure off everybody all round. But that was one instance which was a difficult time for Paul. But there was no way that Jack was ever going to cast him aside. No way because he recognised and he knew that that uh, not only was McGrath an exceptional player, he knew that he needed some help. He knew that actually needed the support and the help of his manager to, to kind of get through it. And, uh, and, and that's what he did. He understood that I loved him. Anytime he put me on a football pitch and I was in any way healthy, I'd be playing for him as much as anyone. I think, was, I think it's Declan Lynch says in the, in the film that he embodied the kind of Paul sort of the dysfunction of Ireland was kind of embodied in Paul's like story. And the fact that he was a rare thing in, a, in, in, a, in any sport, in any world, that he was loved by like all the time, as if, you know, the way people towards the end of their career, people become beloved and they become... Uh, yeah. Paul was always held with that affection he was. By, by people. And it's funny, just to bookend the coach story, I remember a couple of years later, being there early at Lands End Road for another Ireland game. And Paul had just won the uh, PFA Player of the Year award. And he got off the Ireland coach and he was applauded into the, into the dressing room by the, all the fans who were there because he had won that. And there was, there was genuine, and there is genuine love for him. Definitely, always. And, and, and Jack wasn't different with, with Paul. To, I mean, Ron Atkinson had him as a young boy at Manchester United and had exactly the same experiences with him. Aston Villa. 
I remember when Brian Little first came to Villa and he didn't play Paul. Paul didn't play for a few games and it was like, you know, Paul had been Villa's, Villa's player of the year like five years on the trot, you know. He was absolutely adored by everyone at Villa and when Brian came, you know, again, he would have probably had his own reasons for not playing him. Maybe he was testing him, maybe he was just seeing what sort of reaction he was going to get but, but very soon McGrath became an integral part of, uh, of Brian Little's team too, you know. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Earlier, Andy, you mentioned Eamon Dunphy. Obviously, he was a big critic of the, of the style of football that, that Ireland were, were playing at the time. It, it's funny, you look at how cyclical the game is and now how pressing and, and kind of being direct and on the front foot is such a big part of football. I wonder at the time, did, did you players feel stung by that criticism? Did it even matter? And now do you think that it's a big, actually a big part of, of Jack Charlton's legacy as a coach? Sure. Um, well, at the time... We only ever used to hear of, we only ever used to hear of, about, because don't forget, in that period, Jack had very few detractors, very few really. Um, and so we didn't really ever get to hear of anything. We heard about that one in 1990 after the Egypt game. We heard about that. And you know what? When I look back, we were poor that day. We were very poor that day. Jack's style, Matt, when it worked, when we were at our best with it, we were... And I'm not just saying this, I wouldn't say this lightly, but we were as hard a team to beat as probably anywhere. I, I mean that quite genuinely. You know, when we did it well, uh, there were very, very few teams I, I felt that we couldn't beat. Very, very few. When we did it poorly, when the intensity wasn't quite there and when very hot occasions we used to suffer because when, you're, when you've got a real pressing running game in those stifling conditions, it can be difficult. So... There was more than one occasion when it, when we did it, when we played, and it was very ordinary. It could be quite ordinary. It could look a little bit uh, archaic at times. There's no question about that. But never once did we ever come off the field to hear Jack saying, I'm going to change it, I'm going to do this, and I think next time we'll do this or we'll do that. Never. It was, it was get back on the horse and do the same again, you know, as simple as that. And uh, so the Dunphy criticism really... It annoyed Jack, I think. I think it annoyed him at the time. Um, but I don't think it really stung him. I don't think it really, really hurt him. I think it just crawled under his skin a little bit for a while. And uh, and again, being the kind of obstinate, as I mentioned, bloody-minded individual that he was, if you decided you were going to go down that road with him, well, you know, he was never going to... He wouldn't have been one for... Uh, for turning on uh, with regards to Dumphy, no chance, you know, no chance. We, we, were, we weren't bothered really by what Eamon said. It had very little impact on any of us. I would have always been more concerned what Giles he was saying, you know. I would have been more concerned on what John was saying. And John was always pretty fair. John didn't like what he saw, but John would also recognise that 
the, the reasons for doing it. Whereas, uh, you know, Eamon kind of sensationalised it a little bit. Um, but it never really got under any of our skin. Certainly didn't get under mine. And why would you be more concerned about John Giles and say, what would you take on board? Oh, as, a, as, a, as a top player, deal. Mm. As a top player. Yeah. You know, that's not being, I'm not being disrespectful to Eamon there, but Giles, he was a top, top player. And uh, so if, uh, if he'd have said something, it would have, it would have resonated a little bit more. But, and he was critical at times, but he was critical, I think, when it, when it was perhaps a little bit more justified. And, 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 and again, having played in a lot of those big situations himself, he would have, I think, understood a little bit more sometimes about the need for, uh, for getting results. Sometimes you've got to get your results and it's not always about how you get there and how you play. You know, you want to get over the line. We mentioned that, that some of the tactics used are kind of coming back in, in vogue again now. I think one thing that's probably probably not used so much by managers these days is the thousands and thousands of handwritten notes that, that Jack made. Yeah. Mm. When the production team came across those, that, that, that must have been like like finding treasure. There's, there's so many amazing things in there. Do you know, I, and, and, and I'd, I'd never seen him. I mean, Jack's notes were... He like famously coming to the dressing room once and he's got a, pulled a cigarette packet out of his pocket and he's reading notes what he wrote down like, right Baresi does this and Maldini <laughs> does that and, you know on the back of a cigarette packet you know we used to laugh so to see this kind of dossier of uh, of, of of these handwritten notes what did make me laugh though and didn't surprise me was it wasn't a kind of leather bound A4 perfect crisp pieces of white paper it was bus tickets and scrappy bits of envelope and half a bit of paper here and a bit of paper there all scattered about you know um but i was i was fascinated matt when i saw them for the first time and that he kept them that he kept them all you know now managers you often see you, you when you watch your football nowadays you'll see Mourinho or you'll see brendan rogers those two perhaps more than most they have a little pad and they they're jotting a few things down now jack never did that but I was still very, very uh, intrigued at the amount of this stuff that he had written down on, on players, on situations. Some of it were buzzwords and like the be a dictator would be a nice one. Some of it was kind of like that. But then there would be little notes and free kicks and set plays. Now, I was genuinely quite, I was quite shocked at that. And I was quite, I was surprised at that. And, and when the guys mate decided to use that as a, as a kind of core piece of the of the film, I thought that was fantastic. It's one of the poignant things in the in the film too, because I remember Jack an interview with Jack at that time when he said he remembered everything. Whenever he watched a game, he remembered everything about the game. But then his son John says, you know, one of the one of the tragedies of the dementia was that he when he watches football, he couldn't tell you anything about the game at all. What it robs from from somebody is very clear in the film. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I, again, I witnessed that with my own father. I lost my own dad a couple of months ago. Mm. Uh, and um, that's the thing with dementia, you know, it, it, it you become unrecognisable from the from the person that you once was. And the, and, and that's the, the real sad part of it. Jack was kind of such a indomitable figure when he was at his peak. He was, as I say, he was uh, such a, a force, really, of nature in many ways. Um, and then when you see parts of the film when, you know, it, it, it's in his last 
last few months of his life, you can see what that illness does to people and how it affects people. It is, it really does, I think, hit home exactly um, that kind of now is the time to be, to be really taking on board everything that's being said about dementia and, and kind of starting to really put wheels in motion to understand it so much better in the future. Yeah, it's a, it's a really big thing in football at the moment, isn't it? Um, we're, we're nearly out of time, Andy. I, I wanted, before we, let, before we let you go there, just to ask you what you think Jack Charlton's legacy is, specifically in terms of the Ireland team. Well, I think with the Ireland team, I, I, I always think that um, if you believe in something, I think if you genuinely believe that you can, you can achieve something, that you can be competitive, I think it's amazing that, when you have someone behind you that genuinely, genuinely does mean it when they say they believe you can be successful, I think it's amazing what you can go on to actually do yourselves. And so for me, I think he made the country believe. He made that he made everybody believe that that his players, if they applied it his way, you never know. He never ever once professed and turned around to tell anybody that we were going to win the World Cup or we we're going to win the European Championships. Never. But I do think that there was, I think Jack's legacy is, is that he made everybody believe that, that we could be very competitive and that you never know. You never know what you might be able to do. I hope that the people of Ireland have got, I know that they've got the memories. I know they cherish them and I know that they've enjoyed the days that when they've done something that they've never done before. Listen, you know, we, we had some amazing days. We had some amazing times. And really... You know, we have to. We had a lot of good players, but you have to say a lot of it is down to the man at the top. You know, you are what you are on that field as a consequence of what your manager believes you can do. And I genuinely feel that Jack always believed we could be a serious team, a team to be feared, a team to be recognised, and all of a sudden, an, an Ireland team that was talked about. Uh, and, and we were most certainly that. So I think he gave the country reason to believe that we could be a serious football team, and, and we were. The film is called Finding Jack Charlton. It's a, it's a beautiful piece of work. You can pre-order it now ahead of its release, available on the likes of Amazon, Apple TV, from HMV, from Sky Store, uh, and plenty more beside that. Andy, thanks so much for, for talking us through it, and, and all the best with it. Thank you, Matt. Cheers, Dion. Cheers, Andy. Thanks, Matt. Well, that'll wrap up this special edition of Totally. Thanks for your company, listener. We'll catch up with you again soon. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Media. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.